wow, you all are really well trained. You just got quiet all by yourselves. I know, I know that was nothing I had anything to do with. Well, good morning again. Uh, let's just pray here before we start. Father, I just thank you again for this uh, message that uh, you have given me to give to uh, your people. And I just pray uh, that the power that is behind these words would come forth. So, uh, giving you all thanks and praise, giving you the honor and the glory. So we thank you and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, the title, obviously, is Faith That Crushes It. Now, unless I miss my guess, there's probably a few of you here that have no idea what that means. So allow me to explain it to you, all right? Crushing it is a common slang expression. Uh, it's used when some, somebody is doing something particularly well, okay? Such as maybe exceeding all of their goals. Um, it's not like the literal definition of the word crush, which is more negative. Crushing it is actually very, very positive, okay? So uh, you kind of use it in an exclamatory fashion, like this. <laughs> so you would celebrate, you know, with coworkers or friends over some great achievement, and you would do the kind of the fist pump thing like our, our friend here, or you could do a high five as well. So, you know, that's kind of celebrating the idea of crushing it. So in our context today, in, in church here today, um, to have faith that crushes it is the kind of faith that's displayed by the individuals in chapter 11 of Hebrews, okay? So we could say that Abel had faith that crushed it, that Enoch had faith that crushed it, that Noah had faith that crushed it, that Abraham, that Sarah had faith that crushed it, that Isaac and Jacob and Moses and Rahab all had faith that crushed it, that Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and all the prophets had faith that crushed it. It was this level of faith that allowed the Israelites to walk on dry land through the Red Sea. It was this level of faith that caused the walls of Jericho to come down. Faith that crushed it conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, and put foreign armies to flight. Simply put, this is the kind of faith that breaks barriers. It is the kind of faith that we want so that we can have the kind of impact on our community that God wants us to have. And it is the kind of faith that's described in the first three verses of the 11th chapter of Hebrews. And that's the text that we're going to look at today. So let's jump in. We're in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verses 1 to 3, which we will have up on the screen. Or you can follow along on your, uh, bi in your Bible or on your mobile device. So, verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. There was a, uh, a missionary family that was home um, back in the U.S. and was visiting some friends of theirs. And so the whole family had gone over and they had some children with them. And so the kids were outside playing. And so it, became, it was time for dinner. So the mother, the missionary mom, calls her kids to come in and wash up for dinner. And the little boy, scowling, says, 
germs and Jesus, germs and Jesus. That's all I ever hear, and I ain't seen either one. <laughs> you see, eyesight produces a conviction about the objects in the physical world. Faith, on the other hand, produces the same convictions for the invisible order. Faith shows itself by producing the assurance that what we hope for will actually happen. Faith also, also provides an insight into realities which otherwise remain unseen. And so a person with faith lets these unseen realities from God provide a living, effective power for living life every day. But what, what precisely is faith? You know, there are some scholars that sort of look at this verse and they say, well, this is the Bible's definition of faith, Hebrews 11.1. 1. But it's really not a precise definition of faith, is it? It really just kind of gives a description of what, what faith does and what faith sees, all right? First of all, faith anticipates the future. It doesn't place its reliance on things that are just merely visible in our own sight. It's the assurance. The Greek word there is, is hypostasis, okay? And it, it, it's tangible, it means substance. You'll see some translations, I think the NIV uses the word, now faith is the substance, okay? So it's the substance of things we hope for. And so these faithful characters that we see in chapter 11 didn't simply live for the very moment that they were in. They realized that there was more to life than just this, you know, the immediacy of what the experiences was that they were having. That there was, you know, that this was just temporary, that life is a pilgrimage, a journey, we say all the time. Those biblical characters knew that there were better things ahead because in one way or another, God had expressed that to them. And so they preferred, in other, you could say they chose to believe that what God said was true rather than the flimsy promises and the shallow assurances that are in the world around them and in the world all around us. I mean, you want some flimsy promises and shallow assurances, just watch TV for a while. <laughs> Secondly, faith evaluates the present, right? It's wrong, I think, to say that the believer has no interest whatever in contemporary life. I don't think that's true, number one. I think, in fact, it's probably more likely that the Christian has more interest in the immediate scene than the unbeliever. Well, why is that? Well, I think, first of all, the person that has no clear faith in anything basically just accepts things as they are, right? If money comes their way, well, then that's mine to enjoy. If some opportunity presents itself for some sensual pleasure, then the person takes it, no matter what the immediate consequences uh, or effects might be, okay? The person that doesn't have any faith really doesn't sit down to consider 
whether this damages himself or it damages somebody else or it hurts somebody else, it's just not their concern. But a man or a woman who has faith and possesses the conviction of things not seen. And so such people look beyond the situation, the immediate situation. The situation that you can actually see with your natural vision or something that can just be enjoyed you know, naturally. And so they don't look just at their own circumstances. They discern, okay, what is God doing in this? What is the activity of God here? And in, in looking at that, and because they know that God is at work in it, they can see it through the eyes of faith and are able to endure beyond it. Okay, so really we're kind of talking about a hardship here. You know, they, 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 they don't just look at what's going on now. They look past it. They look with the eyes of faith to see, okay, what is God's ultimate plan here? All right. Verse 2. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. So really, it was faith that enabled these heroes, although I don't know that any one of them would have considered themselves a hero, if they had been asked when they were uh, alive, it allows them to receive good standing with God, right? He gave approval to the faith of all of these people, these saints, really. Um, and so what, what um, people of old here really refers to ancestors, okay? That's what, what it's saying. And so verse 2 means that these ancestors, on account of their faith, received the approval of God himself, who speaks through his spirit to his, in his written word, all right? And so there they are, listed in chapter 11. And so by testifying to their faith as recorded in scripture, God is preserving them as witnesses for the true faith. And those witnesses are listed, interestingly, in historical sequence from Abel to David to Samuel to the prophets, which is essentially an outline of salvation history as it's advancing forward to Jesus. And who is Jesus? Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. See? So it's moving in that, along that line. And we know that if we don't have this kind of faith, we can't please God. Or we can't have the satisfaction of knowing that our lives have that kind of divine favor on them. And so for a follower of Jesus, pleasing God really ought to be of the greatest possible importance. Anybody want to debate that? <laughs> One does not, or should not, set his heart on gaining human approval. It can be dangerous, right? People are people, right? They do stupid stuff all the time. They long, you know, the, the, the follower of Jesus longs that in this present moment, they're earning God's approval, and in the, at, at, at the end of things, God will express it to them, right? So again, it's that long-term seeing of ultimately what is the reward that is, is there, that is held out for us. Verse 3. 
By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Now, it's interesting, this phrase, by faith, it's placed at the beginning of this sentence for emphasis, and it occurs 18 more times in this chapter, right? So obviously, the author is intending to make a point here. You don't repeat something that often unless you're really trying to drive home a point. And the emphasis that he's making here is that it's by faith we understand, right? There's two kinds of knowledge. There's sensory knowledge, which is knowledge that we gain through our five senses. Seeing, hearing, feeling, touching, smelling. That's sensory knowledge. Revelatory knowledge is knowledge about God and the spirit realm that's conveyed from God's spirit to our spirit and is understood by faith. And so, it's in we're, when we're dealing with the God realm, we don't understand by the natural mind, but by revelation and by faith. Heard a speaker say recently, it was actually in the School of Kingdom Ministry, we don't need more information. We need more revelation. The natural mind really can't understand things given by God, which includes creation. It's only a renewed mind can really understand that. See, a person who doesn't believe God, you know, probably believes that, what, the universe evolved out of a bunch of existing gases and formless matter. But faith understands that a little differently. Faith discerns, this is Eugene Peterson writing, that the universe of space and time has an invisible source and that it continues to be dependent on God's command. And it's only by faith can we accept what is pretty much an astonishing statement. The visible came forth from the invisible. And so God's incomparable power is such that he can call the universe into being when there is nothing from which it can be fashioned. He simply declared that it was to be, and once he said it, it was done. Ponder that for a while. <laughs> All right, so those are our three verses. So what's our big idea that we want to take away from this? Well, I think the big idea is this. If you want to develop faith that crushes it, you have got to radically trust God. Radically trust God. And what happens when we do that, if we were to do that? And keep in mind, too, that as we're going through this series on, on barrier-breaking faith, what we're, really, we're talking, I guess, really on two levels. We're talking about barriers that you may have in your own life. We're also talking collectively about barriers that we have as a church. Because we are really trying to refocus ourselves on evangelism, on spreading the good news, on reaching people that don't go to church, that's our passion. That is what we are about. It's what we need to be about. It's not what we've been about, sad to say. But we're honest here, right? And we're authentic. And we, we're not living up to our promise, then we say so. And so if we were to look at this church, Harmony Vineyard Church, what is it that's unseen in the sense? Oh, I, th I think I missed something. Okay, there. 
What happens when you radically trust God? Well, first of all, you can visualize the unseen. You can visualize the unseen. So if we were to look at harmony, what is it that's unseen? What are we not seeing? Well, we're not seeing unchurched people regularly being invited to come here. We're not seeing this community being impacted by our presence. We don't see people coming to faith in Jesus and being baptized. That is what we see with our physical eyes. But, but what if we were to look at our church through the eyes of faith that crushes it? Through that level of faith. If we were all to do that, what would we see? Amen, Brother Ray. <laughs> we would see a church service with growing attendance. And if you look really closely, you might even see a second service. We would see our community being genuinely thankful for our church. We would see the city leaders valuing our church's friendship and participation in the community and even asking for it. We would see the neighbors around this church talking behind our back about how good it is to have our church in the area because of the tangible witness that we've offered them of God's love. We would see a large number of our church's members actively engaged in and participating and passionate about community service, using their gifts and abilities in ways and in levels that they've never thought possible. We would see the community actually changing because of the impact of our church's involvement. We would see many people in our area, formerly cynical, hostile towards Christianity, actually praising God for our church and the positive contributions that our members have made in Jesus' name. We would see hands being raised every Sunday after the invitation to accept Jesus is given. And remember, if you brought someone, I told you you could peek. We would see dozens of people being baptized at a single baptism service. And so my question to you is, will you radically trust God so as to make that unseen a visible reality? Will you? Number two, when you radically trust in God, you have a better understanding of salvation. This is kind of interesting. See, don't do that. Um, verse two shows this, that it isn't for their faith that the ancestors in Hebrews received approval from God. It was by their faith was by their faith. So let me ask you a question. So was it by his works and his merit that Abel is featured in Hebrews chapter 11 in the Faith Hall of Fame? This is not a rhetorical question. You may answer. How about Enoch? How about Noah? Really, that's all you got today? How about Abraham and Sarah? 
Was it by their works or their merit that Isaac, Jacob, and Moses show up in Hebrews 11? How about Rahab? How about Gideon? How about Barak? Samson? Jephthah? David? Samuel? No to all. Y'all are sad today. God used and uses faith as the necessary means by which we are saved, and it cannot be our works or our own merit that does it. This is the heart of the good news. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Let me tell you a little story. So there was a little lady, this is in another vineyard church in Maryland. There was this little lady that at, at prayer time at the end of the service comes up to the rail and, and asks for prayer. And so the pastor that was speaking with her asks her, well, what do you need prayer for? She says, well, she's like, I'm not sure I'm saved. He's like, you're not sure you're saved? What do you mean? Well, I'd gone to this, this evangelistic, to, to hear this evangelist speak. And he, he said that if you didn't know the exact day and time that you had made a commitment to Jesus, that you weren't really saved. Well, my pastor friend who was inspired by the Holy Spirit, thought for a moment. And he said, well, you know, Romans 10, 9, and 10 says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead, that you will be saved. So let me ask you a question. Do you believe Jesus is Lord? Oh, yes, I have since I was a little girl, the lady says. Well, do you believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead? Absolutely, she said. I've never doubted that for a second. He said, well, that's Romans 10, 9, and 10. So the next time somebody asks you what time you were saved, you just tell them 9 or 10 minutes after 10, and you're good. <laughs> that's it. Period. End of story. Put a fork in it. It's done. There is no need to wait until you get your act cleaned up. There is no need to wait to build a resume of good works that would rival Mother Teresa. Do you believe? Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. Now, I think the Spirit spoke to me when I was working on this this morning, and we're going to do something that's a little different. And I'm going to ask you all to close your eyes. And this is not a time to peek. So I would just beseech you to please keep your eyes closed. Because I've got the sense that there is one or more people here that doesn't believe this. That still thinks that it's up to their own works, that it's their own merit that gets them into heaven and they just can't quite get their arms around this idea that they have no say in this matter other than Confessing with their mouth and believing with their heart. And so I'm going to ask you to be honest right now. If that is you, if there is any shred of that in you, would you raise your hand right now? I'm sorry, I don't understand the question. Can you repeat the question? Absolutely. There's a tendency on a lot of people who are Christians to think that it's based, that getting to heaven, that eternal salvation is based more 
on what they do, whether they're a good person, whether they are um, leading a good life, then it is about what God has done for them through Jesus Christ and his crucifixion on the cross. All right? And so the question is, if you still think, if there's any part of you that believes the lie that it is based on, that, that eternal salvation is based on what you do and not 100% on what God has done for you, I want you to raise your hand. All right. Keep your eyes closed. Father, in Jesus' name, I break the power of that lie off anyone who has raised their hand and for the few that still believe it but haven't raised their hands right now. Father, I just command that that lie be gone in Jesus' name, that they would believe fully and completely in the salvation that comes straight from Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. I thank you in Jesus' name that that lie is no more is no more radical trust that god is who he says he is and did what he said he would do is all that's required for faith all right you may put your hands down and open your eyes finally when you radically trust in god you believe that something can be created out of nothing. Right? There's a popular phrase, we've all heard it, seeing is believing. It's true, it's just the exact opposite of faith. See, if I can, I can see John in the back. It takes zero faith for me to believe that John is back there. <laughs> right? But if I look and I don't see anything, and yet I believe that something will be there because I am radically trusting in God and in something he has promised he would do, that's faith. See, right now when I look at this church, what I can see, not through the eyes of faith, but through the eyes of, of my own physicality, is a church that is having negligible impact on its community. Right now, that's our nothing. But, do you believe that God could make this a church with growing attendance? Yes. Do you believe that God could cause our community to be genuinely thankful for this church? Do you believe that God is capable of causing city leaders to value our church's friendship and participation in the community, even to the point of asking for it? Do you believe that God could be the source of people talking behind our back about how good it is to have this church in the area because of the tangible witness we've offered to all of them because of God's love? Do you believe that God is capable of motivating a large number of you to be actively engaged in and passionate about community service and to be using your gifts and your abilities in ways and at levels that you never even thought possible before? Do you believe that God could cause the community to actually change? Is anybody here familiar with the Welsh Revival? Few of you are. You ought to read about the Welsh Revival. 
This was a revival that hit Wales. I can't remember the exact dates. Do you remember? It doesn't really matter when. It was a while ago. But God came so powerfully on that country that bars completely went out of business. Churches were packed. There was such a sense of God's presence that it, it just it completely changed things. That's what we're talking about here. That's what we're talking about here. Do you believe that God could cause hands to be raised here every Sunday after the invitation to accept Jesus is given? Do you believe that God could motivate dozens of people to get baptized in a single baptism service? I do. And here's the thing. I need you to as well. That's what's possible. If we can all do that, then we will have the kind of barrier-breaking faith that is going to cause a revival to happen in this place, in this community. And all of those things that I listed are all going to happen. I want you to keep this in mind. This is our, sort of our faith in action point for the day. Building this kind of faith isn't a one-time thing. It's a process. It's not an event. It's not something you put on your calendar, you know, like tomorrow, 10 a.m., I'm going to achieve barrier-breaking faith. It doesn't work like that. I wish it did, because we could just snap our fingers and we'd all be good to go, and the church would take off like a rocket. But it doesn't work that way. Faith like this works a little bit more like one of those huge locomotives that comes through Ashland all the time. Now when they come through here, they've built up a pretty good head of steam. But if you've ever seen one when it stopped, and I have, on the tracks blocking my way to get home, <laughs> and these huge trains just coast to a stop and you're thinking, oh my God, how long am I going to be here? you know how long it takes for that thing to get going. Once they fix whatever it is that's broken or clear off the tracks, whatever it is that's blocking them, it's a slow process. Well, faith like this is sort of like that. And so my point to you is, what is one area in your life, just one thing, that you could choose right now to practice this level of faith in God in? Just one thing. Start there. Right? We want to make this simple. We want to make this attainable. We want to make this achievable. Right? So we're not going to try to, to be like a rocket. We're going to be like a locomotive. A really big one. <laughs> that takes a while to get going. And so just pick one small thing. And see what happens. And then try something else. Just truly trust God that he'll do what he says he's going to do. If there's anybody here that has never accepted Jesus, that you have, you've heard about him, you 
know a little bit about who he is. You think, well, you know, I know the Christmas story and the Easter story. But you've never really taken that step to invite him to come to be with you, to walk with you through this life. And we want to give you that opportunity now. And so you can close your eyes or not, doesn't matter. And just repeat this after me, either out loud in your heart, write it down and do it later, doesn't matter. We just want you to have this relationship because it's important. It's life-changing. It's not important just from a, hey, great, I've got my ticket punched and I'm going to heaven kind of important. It's a, I get power to live my life differently every day kind of power. If you have this kind of radical trust and faith that God does what he says he's going to do. So you just were going to say after me, oh God, I am a sinner and I'm sorry for my sins. I am willing to turn from my sins, to repent from my sins right now. I believe Jesus Christ is your son. I believe that Jesus Christ died for my sins and that you raised him to eternal life. I receive right now Jesus as my Savior, and I receive Jesus as my Lord, as the leader of my life. From this moment on, I want to follow him in the fellowship of the church. And so I ask that you would guide my life and to help me to do your will. And I ask and I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you prayed that prayer, I would just encourage you to share it with somebody. You can tell me, tell John, tell anybody here, but share it with somebody. Go home and tell, call someone. But let them know that you've made that decision today. And whether it's here or whether it's someplace else, I also pray that you would get connected in a body of believers. Jesus calling. <laughs> that you would get connected somewhere because that is so important to walking this out. You can't do it by yourself. Don't let anybody try to tell you that you can. Because you get too much in your own head. And you start to think and believe stuff that's just not true. And so when you're in a body of believers, and especially if you get involved with a small group, and have people that you can share more deeply with, and read scripture, and talk about it, and, and, and learn you know, what God's meaning is, and what his purposes are, that's when you'll grow. That's when the journey gets fun. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you, Lord, for, for these people. And I thank you right now for anyone that, that made that decision today. Lord, I just pray that you would bless them. That you would encourage them to share this major step that they have made. And that they would find what they need, whether it's resources or people, uh, whatever is going to help them truly begin to walk out the faith that they have now made a part of their life. 
So I just thank you for them. And I ask it all now in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, before we go, I would ask you to pull out from the seat in front of you a card that looks like this. This is our connection card. 